Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out WrightFarmHouseChurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. For everybody, we have been doing a study of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We started our study with just an overview of, of love. And, and biblical love and what it means there. And then we went into patience, we went into kindness, and then last time we were here we talked about overcoming envy. And so today, uh, as we continue to work through 1 Corinthians 13, we are, we are going to talk about, about the word pride or, or being proud. Uh, in, in verse 4, he talks about that. Um, if we were to, let me ask you this, if we were to talk to people who know us who know us really well, people who spend time with us, people who know us and our habits, people who know our behaviors, uh, and we were to secretly listen in to them describe to, to others as they talked about us, about the kind of person that we were, and they listed out words that described us, how long, how long do you think it would take for them to list the word servant? about the kind of person that we were um, in their description of us. Would they describe us as a person who cared more about the needs of others than our own needs? Um, I don't know about you, but I think, I think I have a lot of work to do in getting, in getting that word to the top of the list and words that describe me. But as Christians, we should forever be working towards the goal of being a servant. Being a servant is at the heart of what it means to love people, as we learn about here. So let's talk about why that is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul's description of love shows us that biblical love is, is active. We've talked about this. Biblical love is very active. Today's lesson brings us to the word proud, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, in, in the modern, in this, in, this, in this text, in the modern ESV and the NAS, it says that love is not arrogant. That's how it, how it uh, interprets it. And, and in the modern and the 1978 NIV, which, which I study from, it says love is not proud. In the King James Version, it says charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. In the New King James Version, it says love does not parade itself is not puffed up. And in the Amplified Version, which is an interesting and really cool version, it says, love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. And if we looked at the original Greek, which I do, and almost every time I teach a lesson, I go, like to go back to the original language. We come to find that the word, it, it means puffed up. Okay? I was going to ask, uh, uh, Michael, can you describe, if I were to say, don't be puffed up, what kind of person, like, illustrate that kind of person to us? What would he look like? Stand up. Stand up and show us what a puffed up person would look like. <laughs> it, it, it means it, it, it's somebody who puffs out their chest, right? And that's the original language. It's trying to tell us it's a person that kind of, that Lucas is doing a good job. Show us, Lucas. What a puff, there you go. I'm puffed up. Yeah. So while the original language does say puffed up, our, our more modern translations kind of lean towards saying proud, and I think it's, or arrogant, because it's a person that thinks about themselves. 
as is many of the times, many times the, the case in the, in the King James Version is the closest to the original translation. But the problem is that we don't go around, do we go around walking, walking around saying, well, you sure are a puffed up person today. You know, we don't do that because we don't talk like that anymore. Uh, unfortunately, I think Colin would say, we should say puffed up. You, didn't you say that to me this week? Um, but it just means that it's a person who has a pride problem, right? So when we imagine that this, is, this in our heads, like, like Lucas and, and Michael showed us, we can picture a person with their chest puffed out. And, and this translates well, obviously, to, to what the more modern translators have settled on as proud or, or, or arrogance, which I think is a fair translation. So what does it mean to be proud or what does it mean to be puffed up? And there are so many ways that pride can be manifested in our life, but prideful people, they think highly of themselves. And, and therefore, proud people are not, proud people are not servants. Proud people think that their time is too valuable or it's more valuable than other people's time. They'll let the less important do that lowly service the lowly roles and the lowly tasks. Maybe a person has risen to a level in their job where they have too much authority and, or, or enough authority that they, they don't think that they need to be a servant to those around them anymore. Or we might reach a certain age, as we get older, we might reach a certain age where we think certain tasks are beneath us. Proud people think that their, that their agenda is more important than other people's. And so, and so they'll let other people serve so that they can do the more important things in life, right? But love is not proud, we find out. Love serves. We've seen through 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as we've studied this that Jesus is the perfect personification of love. You can just put Jesus' name into this chapter wherever the word love is. We can say things like Jesus is patient, right? Jesus is kind. We can also say this. We can say Jesus was not proud. Jesus was always known as a servant. In Luke chapter 22, verse 27, Jesus says this about himself. He says, but I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus shows us all throughout the Gospels that he displayed servanthood without fault. His example of service shows us how we should act in our, in our homes, how we should act in our church family, how, how we should act in our jobs, how we should act in our cars as we drive. That's a tough one sometimes, right? In our examples, he shows us in our, how, how to act in our examples as we, as we do just normal routine in public. He especially shows us servanthood even if it's inconvenient. Jesus was always a servant. Always. He always took the lowly route that was not, especially not expected of a rabbi. There's a story here in, in, in the Gospel of John that directly connects love with servanthood in Jesus' life. And it's found in John chapter 13 here, and it's at the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. And if you, if you look at the timeline, today is, is what they call Easter Sundays. It's the day of celebrating the resurrection. So this would have happened on Thursday evening, the Passover, previous Thursday evening. John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
The older 1978 and better version of the NIV puts it this way. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Okay, so when we think of the full extent of his love, we might think of, and I think appropriately, what he did for us on the cross. When he died for our sins. And yet, in this immediate context, what he says here, in this immediate context of this passage, John, John goes on to tell a story that, that happened at the Last Supper. So, in the immediate context, what he says is this. He says, Jesus showed them the full extent of his love by washing the feet of his disciples. And we need to understand that a master, a master or a rabbi in that culture... It was a place of enormous privilege, okay? Very, very high authority. Much, much like our own, our own culture has people of authority. We could, we could imagine uh, a great teacher, a PhD, or somebody as high, a president or a queen. These are authority figures, people that were respected. In that day, a master, they would sit at a meal and they would recline. We, we sit at tables. They would sit at a meal and recline. He would be decorated in a royal or an authoritative robe to show, his, to show his stature. But we don't see Jesus reclining here, right? We see Jesus kneeling before them to wash their feet. We don't see Jesus in a royal robe. We see him taking off his garment. And, and he wraps a towel around his waist. He grabs a basin of water and he does the lowliest thing that you could do in that culture. He washed other people's feet and you and I might think and I grew up in Fiji where we went barefoot more than the Durban boys do you and I might think that feet are dirty or smelly or gross and a lot of times they are but but that was more true in the first century especially since they walked on dirt roads and 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 they always wore sandals their feet would always be dirty and they would always be grimy and nasty but there's more happening in this story than just saying that Jesus cleaned some gross feet. Okay? That's not the end of the story. Think about this. The servant in a household, the servant who was assigned this role uh, to wash the feet was the lowest servant in the household. Okay? Um, it was the job that nobody else wanted. Jesus didn't just take this gross and icky role. No. He took the humble role. Jesus did it for his followers. He didn't wash the feet of those who had, <clears throat> he didn't wash just wash the feet of those who had more earthly nobility, right, than him. He wasn't even washing the feet of his peers. No, Jesus washed the feet of his followers, his disciples, of his students. He was washing his students' feet. And that was absolutely unheard of. But that's not the most shocking thing. The most shocking thing is that Jesus washed the feet of Jesus' feet. He washed Judas's feet. He washed the feet of the one that was going to betray him just moments afterwards. The one that was going to reject him. Uh, washing dishes, uh, to, to kind of back, back up here a little bit in the story, Peter, do you guys remember what Peter says in this chapter? When Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet, what does Peter say? Can you, so, so you understand the reaction Peter has? to This is not, no, no, what are you doing? I'm not, I'm not above you. you, you know, clearly, Peter knows he's the, he's the, uh, he's the Christ, he said so, he's the Messiah, and then Jesus says, if, if I don't wash your feet, you can't, he says, you can't enter the kingdom of God with me, and he says, well, wash my body, just get, I mean, you, 
do whatever you need to, man, you know. So uh, let's say washing dishes. My mother's about to walk in, and so it's perfect timing because I, I, I was thinking of a story. Washing dishes for someone at home or maybe serving someone at our workplace who is in a lower position, it doesn't come close to comparing to what, to what Jesus did in this story, but <clears throat> let's use for... Let's use these, these, term, these uh, comparisons for modern, modern comparisons. Jesus wouldn't just wash the dishes for those who were in his family, those he loved, those who would return the favor, okay? Those who would help, who would help him out in return. He would wash the dishes of the ones who would sell him out, right? Jesus wouldn't just take out the trash for the people at the office that, that he liked, people that would maybe take the trash out for him too, uh, Jesus would take out the trash for the ones who gossiped about him and slandered him and betrayed him. This is not a great, uh, a, not a great comparison, but I was, as I was thinking about this lesson this morning, Mom, you walked in at the perfect time. I like to tell the story of my chore for the day in Fiji when I was a teenager. She's laughing already. My chore for the day was uh, to wash the dishes. And I did not like washing the dishes. And I complained. I was a little bit. I just didn't want to do it. And my mother, who's now walked in listening to this, she said, okay, well, I want you to sit there and I'm going to wash the dishes for you. And I was like, no, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it. Because in my head, I was like, no, that's not, that's not right. I've complained. I deserve worse. And yet I think it was a really good example of the story in John chapter 13 that my mother set forward for me. It was a much worse punishment. For me to watch her wash the dishes that I deserve to watch, wash. So she was showing me in an example of, uh, of servanthood how I should be acting and what my complaining did to me. And it punished me. It really did. It hurt me. And so I think I can kind of have this tiniest percentage of an understanding of what Peter felt like when Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet. And he said, no. And then he said, wash my whole body if, I, if that's what it takes. Jesus' love was, it was demonstrated in servanthood. He put others' needs and he put others' interests above his own, constantly. A servant, just, a servant doesn't say, what do I need to do so that my day today will go just like I want it to? A servant asks, how can I help others today? Love is not proud or arrogant. Love is not puffed up like Lucas showed us. If we focus on if we focus on how Jesus was not proud or arrogant, we see an example, we see example after example of the perfect opposite of arrogance and sinful pride in the perfect man who was God on earth. Jesus went to the cross for us so that, in part, that we might begin to experience the joy Jesus gives us when we display servanthood like Jesus would. Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.